with attention to God who is with us. Let us join our hearts now as we say to him, Father, speak for your children are listening. May your word have a bearing upon hearts, beginning with mine. May your Holy Spirit move from person to person. Thank you for the affirmation of your love for us through your presence here with us. Thank you that we do not serve a a statue We serve a true and living God whose presence is promised to be with his people throughout time. Thank you, Father, that already in this moment of worship, we have not only experienced the hearing of truth, but we are experiencing truth itself in the person of Christ. I pray this morning that you would season these words, these simple thoughts that you've given me with the truth that comes from you. And that it would find a place in our hearts. I trust you today. I put my hope in you today. I know that you are ahead of me today. You are already working in hearts and lives this morning. And so, with that confidence, I step before you as your child and say, Hide me behind the cross, that I may not be seen, but that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 5 only to 11, I've changed my message three times in the last three hours, so it must be of the Lord, anything in three, Trinity, at least that's what I'm telling myself right now. Colossians chapter 3, reading from verse 5. Through to 11, this is what it says. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Identity is significant to all of us. I think that Very often our identity is defined by distinctions. Distinctions are often made between nations. For example, I am Canadian, not American. I'm Australian, not from New Zealand. And you dare not confuse the two. I am Scottish, not Irish. I am South African, not Nigerian. These distinctions can be made... uh, based upon culture or ethnicity, to ones established upon career or success, to ones shaped in tragedy and pain. You see, I was born and raised in Cape Town as a colored South African during apartheid. I grew up in a culture of racial segregation. I recognized from an early age that boundaries of color and race defined most of my life. It defined how I saw myself and how others perceived of me. I also experienced the tragic loss of parents and two younger siblings in a motor vehicle accident. 
this tragedy no doubt contributed to shaping my perspective of self and of life. I lived for a long time defined by my tragedy and my loss. I have come to realize that many people live this way, defined by the pain of their life, defined by the loss of their life. But then I moved to Canada, and my charms and astounding handsomeness appealed to this young lady that sits in front of us today. And here I adopted yet another identity, uh, that of a hockey-loving, Tim Hortons-drinking, fun-loving Canadian who wears a T-shirt in minus temperatures as he barbecues and scoffs, I say it again, scoffs at American officials who close their cities down when there is only three inches of snow on the ground. But there is more to my identity than culture, race, tragedy, and my past. I am a Christian. And to be Christian is to be redefined by the person of Christ. To be, in the words of Paul, a Christian is to be a person defined by the Lordship of Christ. You see, Paul is so clear in this particular text that he puts it this way. He says, I am so, I'm so taken by Christ that Christ is all and is in all. In fact, when you read through Colossians, you will see that the language Paul uses to talk about this identity in Christ is the language of baptism. In the early church, when people became Christians, followers of Jesus, they immediately were baptized as a showing, as a symbolism, as a declaration of being participant in a new life, having received a new identity. They would often go into the water wearing a certain outfit and coming out, they would be given new clothes. Symbolic, symbolic of this renewal that has taken place. You see, baptism reveals the totality of becoming rooted and defined by the person of Jesus. If there is a dominant person, a dominant factor that is to be my definition as a person, it must be Jesus first. For when Jesus is first, then we are no longer Canadian who happens to be Christian or a student or an accountant or a business person or a wife or a husband. But we are first and foremost Christian. When that is our primary identity, it changes everything else. Everything else is subsequent to this identity that is rooted in a baptism into a new life and a new identity. How we see ourselves is critical to revealing whether Christ is really at the heart of our life. You see, for if Christ is our greatest treasure, according to Scripture, our heart will be there. One of the ways in which you can determine and we can determine whether Christ is in fact at the heart of our lives is that we spend time with Him. We spend time in worship. We spend time in prayer. We desire those intimate moments of quiet reflection. There is a development in our spiritual life that wants us like someone who first falls in love with a beautiful woman, wants to be in their company all the time. So this desire within us to be with Jesus becomes a growing reality. The Colossian community, comprising a Gentile majority, faced the threat of teachers that were teaching a doctrine that was not quite representative of Jesus. The Apostle Paul did not plant this congregation, but we know that his missionary work somehow gave rise to this congregation. He writes out of a deep concern 
for this people being influenced by this false teaching. We do not know exactly who these false teachers were, but we do know this. They were teaching a a religion that took Jesus out of the heart of this community. Their teaching contains some strains of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is a, is a, is a desire or a, a teaching that holds up that there is greater knowledge to be possessed and that that knowledge is ultimately the enlightenment that everyone needs. But they didn't only teach Gnosticism, they also mixed in some Judaism, the need for people to return to certain old ritual ways of becoming acceptable before God. This new teaching with this invitation to a greater revelation a greater knowledge, a gnosis, as you, as, if you wish, is challenged by Paul. Paul responds by reminding them that the true knowledge, the real knowledge that they ought to possess and have, has already been given to them, not in theory or in philosophy, but in the person of Jesus Christ. If you are still with me, say amen. I only have a few minutes to go. He reminds them of who they are in Christ. In fact, this whole portion, he is saying one thing repeatedly. Be who you already are in Christ. Be who you already are in Christ. Uh, in fact, there, there is three, uh, three points I want to share with you. And I apologize for those of you who heard me preach this message at Ambrose. Uh, but you need to hear it twice, especially those of you who were there. Uh, for it to take hold in your life. I hope you guys thought uh, knew I was joking, right? No. First, the apostle says this, be in practice who you are in Christ. You see, if Jesus is Lord, if we have been united with Him, if we've been baptized into Him, then there is no room for sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Let me put it to you this way. There must be a qualitative difference in a Christian's life from the dominant culture of the day. There must be a setting apart, a sanctification, if you will, in practice that reveals our belonging. You know why? Because immorality is a betrayal of our identity in Christ. You know, when, the, when, when, when Paul says, put these things aside, he's saying, he's using the baptism, the first action of baptism. He, when, when we go into the water, it symbolizes dying to our old way of life. He's saying that if your identity is rooted in Christ, then in your life, these things ought no longer to have a precedent. Because Jesus is Lord of your life, these things must no longer be a part of who you are. There must be a definitive difference because you belong and you've been united to Christ. You must have victory and power over these things because of Christ within you. You see, our immorality is a betrayal of our identity in Christ. But our holiness, the morality that with which we desire to live our life, reflects. It's not the way we're saved, but it reflects that we belong to God. A people that is set apart. A people that don't buy into this is just my nature. This is just the way I am. I love the girls. 
I've been raised this way. This is my history. I've had this problem for many years too. You don't understand. You don't live in my skin. You don't know what it's like. You know what Jesus, what Paul says? He Paul, Paul says, if you are a Christian, then you have the newness of Christ, the freshness of Christ, the power of Christ at work within you. And the things that once you ran to are no longer the things you do. If you believe, If you believe that Jesus has transformed you, then these things are no longer the way you live. I used this illustration at Ambrose and no one laughed. Maybe you will indulge me. It is ridiculous to think of a Canadian who does not love hockey. Paul is saying this. It is ridiculous to think of a Christian that does not love holiness. You betray, we betray who we are in Christ when we live immoral lives. Uh, Listen, let me speak very clearly to you on this matter. Uh, Our world is changed. Information uh, is available uh, in such astounding speed and volume unlike ever before. As parents, and as a parent speaking to parents, Our children have access to things that you and I never had access to at their age. They are bombarded with the images of this world that teaches them that their sensuality and sexuality are to be acted upon in any which way they choose. Can I say this to you? The answer is not simply to say, do not do as others do, but do you know who you are in Christ? The answer is to teach our children that there is no greater love expressed than the love of Christ for them. That their value runs far deeper than the casual sexuality that is pervasive in our day. Listen, let me, let me bring it home to you in a, in a real way. Our children will go the way we do. Are we living in practice, who we already are in Christ. But, but, but the apostle says more than that. He, he also says, be in thought who you are in Christ. It is interesting that in the sets of vices listed in this particular text, uh, the acts of immorality, uh, the, the immoral behaviors, the deceptive talking and the lies, uh, there, there is an underlying truth that is coming out. The apostle before this says, set your minds on things that come from above. Set your mind on the eternal things. Think about Jesus, because when you don't think about Jesus and you set your mind on the material things, you will find yourself moving and drifting off. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said it this way. Stay with me for just a second. It will make perfect sense, I hope, in a minute. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know what he's saying? Outward acts of immorality started somewhere. It began not in the action, but in the thought life and in the heart. You know what the author of Hebrews says? We must fix our thoughts on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. I must say to us that if we are to live into this identity, then we must train our minds intentionally to focus upon the eternal, to focus upon Jesus, to meditate upon His way of life, His call for our life, His demand upon our life. The Apostle Paul 
Paul puts it this way. He says in Romans 12, we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. It is the mind that is set on Jesus that is the mind that is pleasing to God. It is the mind that is at peace with itself. It is the mind that knows whom he belongs to. What are you filling your thoughts with? What are you looking at? What are you reading? What philosophies are you thinking about? What are you feeding your mind on? What are the thoughts that shape your actions? The challenge is that we, we should not only be in practice who we are, but we cannot be in practice who we are if our thought life, our minds, and our hearts betray what God wants us to be. Look, the calling to live this life is not easy. Jesus doesn't magically make temptation go away. Jesus doesn't magically make your life go easy and well. There are people sitting in this room. We can swap our war stories and we can sob as we listen to one another's pain. I want to say to you that being Christian does not mean that you live this life with a green card that frees you from any disappointment, hostility, anger, resentment, pain, tragedy, loss, and so on. But what I do know is that when I fix my eyes on Jesus, I do not only see someone who died for me, but someone who offers me a hope amidst the pain. When I think upon Him, it changes my actions. You see, any spirituality that is self-help will start with, you know, do, 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 do this. Replace a bad habit with a good habit. Have you ever tried that? So instead of cursing, say hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know what Christianity says? It says begin. Begin with Him. Begin with who Jesus is. Fix your eyes on Him. If, if you want to change your behaviors, begin by, by looking at the one who has given us the perfect way with which to live. We are called to reflect in our practice and in our minds a dedication to the Lord Jesus Christ. But finally, uh, and everybody says amen in their hearts, be in community what you already are in Christ. I want to read this scripture to you. Uh, it says in verse 11, Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. It is in verse 11 that Paul reminds the Colossians that their new identity in Christ tears down the walls of race, culture, and ethnicity. See, Christian communities who most resemble Christ, people who know their identity is rooted in Christ, do not make secondary identities boundaries. They are not prejudiced. They're not racist. They're not exclusive. Uh, you know, the, the Great Commission that says... That, that we must make disciples of all nations cannot happen unless Jesus is so dominant in our life that we do not see the boundaries that the world says are there. You see, I want to say this very clearly to you. Someone told me this week as I was drinking coffee with them, and I said, it's a really strange thing for me to pastor of this church. It's a strange thing for me to, to be the pastor of this church. I said, there's not a week that passes that I go, I am so strange in this place. And this is what they said to me. Oh, we don't think of you as black. <laughs> and I had a moment of, 
I don't know what that means. Maybe I need to be a little bit more black. I, I don't know if I can get more black than I am. I, I was preaching at a, at a, at a conference in, in just outside Boise, Idaho, and there's about 400 middle school students. And uh, I, I, I just flew in. I missed my flight, so I just flew in 20 minutes before I had to speak. So I rushed in there. I started speaking and, you know, and, 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 and went to bed. The next morning I woke up with this intense headache. And... Uh, when I have that kind of headache, I can't wear my glasses. Anybody like me? So I take my glasses off, and I go to the breakfast line, and I'm in line with middle school students getting breakfast, you know? And I want to be humble, so I'm not jumping the line and be like, I'm the speaker, you know? So I'm standing in line, and behind me, behind me is this little 13-year-old little boy with glasses on. And he came to me the night before, and he was just so encouraging. It's the kind of kid I love because he encouraged me. He's like, that was awesome. That was so good. I felt so terrible, right? But he was like, oh, that was so awesome, Stu. So I, I'm standing in line, and he's right behind me. And, and he touches me from behind like this, you know. And I turn around. I can't remember his name now. But I say, hey, how are you doing? And he goes, Stu, is that you? I said, well, yes, it is. And then my mind starts racing. I'm the only black guy here. <laughs> However, I did take my glasses off. <laughs> this makes all the difference. I then proceeded to use this example as I was talking to them in the afternoon session. And I talked about the fact that he mistook me. And I made this statement. I said to them, isn't it wonderful that the color thing wasn't an issue for that little guy? I took my glasses off, and he couldn't tell the difference. <laughs> Can you? Don't take your glasses off. Some of you need it real bad. But in here, is there no distinction? Look, we, we, we all can look the same. You know, we, 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 we all can be of the same race, but we can still draw lines and boundaries. You know, when, when we socialize in those 90 seconds we give you every Sunday, do you go to the same people? When you have an opportunity in your day-to-day -day life to step outside your comfort zones with the gospel message of Jesus Christ, do you? Do you find yourself drawing conclusions and thoughts about who the other person is and what they are like? before you get to know them? Were you raised with sentiments of prejudice towards certain people groups? Can I say this to you? Wherever prejudice and racism exist, Christ is not Lord as He ought to be. Historically, the church has done a poor job. Historically, we have to confess and we have to say sorry for what has been done in the name of Christ against others. Currently, we must do the same. But can I say this to you? This scripture speaks particularly, specifically to the believing community. And it says this. Out there may be divisions of race and ethnicity. But in here, there is no distinction made. Because Christ is all and is in all. Oh. Is he Lord? 
Lord, to the extent that it affects my behaviors. Lord, that it affects the, the extent of my thought life. Lord, that it affects the extent of me crossing and entering into relationship and friendship for the sake of the gospel with others. My friends, my friends, we ought to be that church. We ought to be that church that our, our logo defines as a church of different people brought together by the cross of Christ. I wonder this morning, because I've sat in your seat and I know what it's like to try and beat away truth. <laughs> I don't have my hanky this morning. I hope this doesn't break off on my head because that would... <laughs> came close. <laughs> Ruthann, this is not the time to laugh at me. <laughs> uh -huh. Uh -huh. Yeah. You know, to believe... When scripture goes on, which is what the message that I originally prepared to preach, the scripture goes on and it talks about the fact that this identity is defined by God. He, he chooses us. He makes us holy. And he loves us dearly. And I got to thinking about that a little bit. And I said, how do you convince people, including yourself, to live free from sexual immorality, to focus their attention and their hearts on Jesus and his example? and to not be prejudiced and racist in their life. Is it simply about making a compelling argument? Is it simply about convincing people that this is the right thing to do? I've come to find that I cannot convince my six-year-old to do anything she doesn't really want to do without much pain <laughs> and gnashing of teeth. I would assume it's the same for most of us here. And so I thank God for the Scripture because the Scripture teaches us that this presence of Christ within us, His power, His Spirit, enables us to live this way. Do we believe that? It's okay to say yes. Do, do we believe that? I'm a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, all that is new has come. I say to some people who say to me, Stu, I mean, I, I know some of your story. I know some of your history. I mean, how is it that you find yourself in Canada, you know, with such lovely people like yourself? How is it that you've made some of the decisions you've made? And I would like to suggest to you that it was all made with wisdom. There was a lot of ignorance in my decision. I confess that today. But I was never alone. He was always with me. And because he is with me today, I, 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 I can speak this message of hope and renewal. I can speak this message because I believe that God can change some of the deep-held issues within our life. Some of us need to be relieved from some of the painful things that we, we think about ourselves. When we think upon ourselves, we just sigh. Some of us feel so terrible. Some of us can't believe that we can truly be loved.
some of us struggle with this identity. Some of us struggle in our thought life. Some of us are tr- constantly trying to escape the reality of who we are through vices, through addictions, through running, uh, running to things that never quite deal with the issue. But when you come to this Savior, Jesus Christ, and you say, Father, I throw myself at your mercy and at your grace, through his Spirit, he can bring about the change. We need young people that are sanctified in practice and behavior in word. We need young people who are set apart. We need parents who model Jesus in their homes. We, we, need, we need grandparents. Amen, Gary. We need grandparents who would look to parents and grandparents and see in them the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Look, I, I don't know what your barriers are, but I, 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 I do want to finish off today. And I just want to simply say to you <laughs> that the greatest part of your journey is yet to begin when you surrender yourself completely to Him. Don't let your past, your history, your pain, the thoughts that often manipulate you, what others say and expect of you keep you from who he is. When we bow our knees before him, we acknowledge that we need a savior. We need rescuing. We need Jesus. Let us bow our heads this morning. And I want to invite you to come. If God has spoken to you today, I want to invite you to come and pray at these altars. And, and, and it's nothing weird about these altars, but it is an opportunity to come and kneel before the one who shapes who we are, truly. The one that speaks grace and mercy over us. Um, as the worship team plays through the song, we won't drag this time out, but I do want to really encourage you if... God has said something today. Would you bend your knee to him? Don't fight what the Spirit is doing. Don't fight where the conviction is resting. Father God, thank you for your word today. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you're constantly teaching me about where my ultimate value comes from. And here in this congregation with people whom I love and who love me, we confess to you our sins. We ask that you would heal us. Bring hope, Father. Bring hope where we have started to to give up. Remove the prejudice and the barriers of our hearts. May who we are in Christ make a difference with our children, with our spouse, with those who we come into contact with. Come now as a, as a powerful sign of your presence amongst us. And move us towards obedience.
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.